0: Hi, this is Daniel Brennan, and this is the Vintage Stories Podcast. And that is Pino Funk by Willie Devine. Willie, uh, from what I understand, has done the artwork on the new Troy Kingy album, and if you guys aren't familiar with Troy Kingy, you need to get with it. Troy's amidst the Ten 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 series, which is... Ten albums in ten years in ten genres—it's pretty ambitious, pretty awesome thing. But right now, he's got uh, the album that's just come out called "The Ghost of Freddie Caesar." And from what I understand, Willie did the artwork on that for that album. I know he's working with with Troy on something. So, and uh, Troy's on tour right now. If you're uh, here in New Zealand, check him out. He's playing in Auckland, Wellington, and lucky enough, headlining the Hawkes Bay Art Festival at Toy Toi. I'm going to check that show out for sure. Uh, So this is the uh, Vintage Stories podcast, but it's also a co-production with Pinot Noir New Zealand 2022. Uh, They're uh, helping out with this and helping me spread the word as we go around from each region. And right now we are amidst the Wairarapa. Got some good feedback on uh, last week's episode. Uh, with uh, some, as I said, young-ish winemakers in Ben Trennick and Janine Ricards. This week we are speaking with a bit of a legend in Larry McKenna from Escarpment Vineyards. Larry's got, well, he's probably one of the best resources for historical information, uh, you know, on the region of Martinborough and the greater wider Rapa. Uh, he's been in the region since the early '80s, or in New Zealand since then at least, and um, yeah, one of the sort of stalwarts of the of the region, uh, having started at Martinborough Vineyards and eventually his own program over at Escarpment. And uh, but one of the other reasons why I wanted to speak to him was because he's sort of the pioneer over in the Tamuna Road region. Um, and our interview went long, which was good and I was thinking about doing that dual uh, you know, interview episode like I've done on the last one, but uh, not only because Larry's episode had a lot of information and I think enough there for a full episode, but also um, Nathan uh, Maynard, who I spoke to from the Mirai, I really think that deserves, after some careful thought, I really thought that deserved its own episode um, to focus on something not just about wine. I mean, Nathan you'll see in the next episode um, he certainly knows a lot about wine grew up in hospitality but uh, this is that will be an episode uh, with the sort of arm's length we talk about a lot of other issues and things so uh, I wanted to leave that one on its own and plus that's quite long so it kind of would have made for too long of an episode I like to keep these around an hour uh, but yeah we had a great chat with Larry I really appreciate him you know for me it was a long time coming Larry made some of the wines that you know made me move to New Zealand which is uh, a big you know means a lot to me and so uh, it was a real honor to speak to him and you know one of the pleasures of doing this podcast is now he's kind of a buddy you know I just saw him at Winetopia in Wellington we had a good chat and uh, you know I mean, how cool is it that I get to do this and become friends with, you know, some of my heroes, which is great. And, uh, so I want to thank Larry for doing it and, uh, taking the time out of his busy day, uh, sat up in his office above the vines in Timuna Road and literally looking out at the actual escarpment and the, uh, Hurangarua, River, which I've decided to name this, this, um this episode of part two on. So uh, let's get it into it with Larry. You know what you're doing nowadays. You're ordering wine online. Let's hope you are. sporting the industry, not just those uh, going to the supermarket. You're looking for those good deals out there. You're looking for what are the great wines of the world. Not only New Zealand, Pinot Noir, but wines from all over the world. Where do you go to find out about all those wines? You go to Wine Searcher. WineSearcher.com. Go to the website, download the app. You'd be amazed at all the features for pricing, locations. They've got great articles up there. There's just more and more content. They just got a new look website that looks great. Uh, check them out. WineSearcher.com. Download the app. Don't forget, change the currency. Don't be like me and be silly and put in the wrong currency. Uh, And you can check out wines from around the world. And, man, you might even be able to find some crazy rare wine that somebody from some other place around the world that's willing to ship it to you. And funny enough, you can probably find some weird stuff here in New Zealand if you're down here. But I know I've used it in the U.S., and the U.K., and uh, all over New Zealand Australia. Check them out, winesearcher.com. Download the app. Anyway, uh, so there wasn't much happening down here back then?
1: No, no, there's a number of stories I could tell, but really there was only four wineries, Chifney, which is now Margrain, Adirangi, Dry River, and Martin Brevinjard. So it was all brand new. They really, they started buying land and planting grapes in 1980, and I joined them for for Martin Brevinjard's second real vintage in, in 86.
0: And there was other farming here or just not much people at all or not oh, much going yeah, on yeah it
1: was a it was a provincial agricultural service town mainly for dry farm dry land agriculture sheep beef some cropping but it's, it's summer drought here yeah very much, uh, that
0: was kind of my question was if it's a wine region you know certain things don't grow very well on certain soils at certain drought yeah. kind of yeah. things that we get here but i am reading a book right now it's a new release a new zealand author from Hawkes bay we know who uh it's all about the establishment of wellington and they're already talking about going to farm in Wairarapa but i suppose that's a much bigger area yeah. than just yeah. Martinborough, you know
1: yeah. yeah well this is the driest place in the north island which surprises a lot of people mm. 700 mil annual rainfall 28 inches and yeah, very much summer drought. And it means that, uh, you know, combined with, uh, there's the whole region's relatively successful, but we've also focused on the soil type that's been created by the Hungarua and the Rumahunga rivers. And they both got alluvial gravel terraces along them where they flooded, su- 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 uh, flooded over, you know, many thousands centuries. And thousands yeah. Yeah, and yeah. um and created very deep draining alluvial gravel terraces, which ideal for grape growing, mm. so they are the two main reasons from my point of view why we're here. The proximity of Wellington once perhaps was important, but you know we're all the the majority of it would be being exported, so we're all the big bigger players are involved in export, but yeah, very interestingly, you know, the whole district's enjoying being a sort of a regional centre for for the lower south lower north island and you know, there's a lot of tourism going on and, and your local tourism rather than international so definitely since COVID happened we've been enjoying little- I've seen that I was yeah.
0: I was here myself with my family uh, a few weeks ago and it was like a, a Monday or something and it was just couldn't get out of the way of the cyclists you know that's right but that's great it Was yeah. now going back to when you 86 when you moved here in the late 80s were most of the wines being sold in Wellington and you know
1: yeah yeah in fact a lot of it was direct we were still so small and the whole Pinot Noir industry particularly but the wines from this district were brand new and you know I can remember back then you know Chardonnay would be on the shelf for a matter of months it wouldn't be available 12 months of the year the one just wasn't the the product available Yeah, Yeah. yeah And so, and then Pinot Noir was pretty much brand new. Maybe early, early 80s, late 70s started to being produced, and this district uh, sort of uh, created a market uh, or helped create a market. Central Otago effectively didn't exist. A little bit was coming out of Christchurch, mm. out of uh, Waitara, but um, yeah. So it was uh, there was a lot of demand and not much supply. It was fantastic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear stories about. Uh- neil from dry river like sending out the letters here's the wines that are available and getting everything back the wines are all sold that yeah. was it yeah you know and uh, that's yeah. obviously evolved changed quite a bit over the years more competition and just a lot easier to get wine yeah. nowadays and a lot of great wine out there um so were you asked to come down did you know somebody here or? yeah
1: i was yeah the the sh- couple of the shareholders in um Martin Bravinyard, in fact, had a word to John Hancock. You know John. Yeah, yep. and, yeah, and uh, he's been on here. Yes, yeah, I saw him on the website. He he suggested I was at delegates in Auckland, and I'd be a good candidate for winemaker for them. He's he's born in Australia too. He was. You
0: guys were infiltrating. That's you know right. I mean? Well, it's worse.
1: It's worse than that. We went to school together. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So it goes back a long way. And wow, that's cool. He he was. I always blame say he's got a lot to answer for. He yeah. he was responsible in getting me to delegates in the first place as an assistant winemaker to him. He moved on to to uh, Morton state Morton, that's right. Yeah, yeah probably on eighty three, and I took over from 83 till the end of 85. And then, yeah, was offered this opportunity down here. And as I said, it was this opportunity to be a shareholder in the business. That was never going to happen with, no. with delegates. And it was opportunity to be involved in a grape variety that looked like it had a future. And I think, in all fairness, you know, I knew that the climate around Auckland wasn't the climate where gro- vines flourished in South Australia. They were all it was dryland agriculture, dryland viticulture in South Australia, and this side of the country looked a lot more like South Australia did than it did around subtropical Auckland. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it was an easy decision from that point of view, and it was a brand new district, and it really effectively was pretty much a brand new variety. Was it's, anybody
0: trying to grow Pinot up in Auckland back then? I mean, I know Kumi has some now. Were they did they do it back then? The or? only
1: one I know of was Babbage. Babbage. Yeah. They had a bit. Montana had a little bit out of, Mon- and mainly I think out of, out of, uh, Blenheim. Yeah. Uh, but it was really Babbage, and I don't know if even Nobolo, Nobolo's, yeah, I think Nobolo's had one as well. Yeah. yeah. The only
0: but two- not grown around Auckland or anything. Yeah. Babbage and Nobolo's uh,
1: probably. yeah, okay. Were. Yeah. Yeah. H- yeah. Huapai for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, yeah, so the boom was coming, you know, I, I can probably, I don't know that I've had many if any, 80s Pinots from Martinborough. I certainly had some 90s ones, Yeah, um, but that seemed to be the 90s was kind of booming. And uh, is that when all of a sudden their vineyards are popping up everywhere around yeah. here?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Ranga and Palliser started off in the late 80s, early 90s, around then. In fact, I think Palliser started off with their first wine of uh, 1990. Um, they had vineyards that, were, in fact, we were taking fruit from in 88 and 89. Mm-hmm. Tikaranga was always there, but uh, not much commitment to Pinot Noir until, until the early 90s. They were perhaps the fifth winery to start here, um, on a commercial scale anyway. And then once, uh, yeah, the I think the the 90s was really when, when a lot of other businesses came into it. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I would have started seeing maybe sort of late '90s wines in in the U.S. in that sort of uh, you know second wave. I always call it of which there was some pushback to because of pricing and things, but really high quality wines that came in from New Zealand, which Good. got me in, mm. uh, hooked, mm. hooked me in. Yeah, um, I think
1: I think we were fortunate with some very big commitment to quality right off the bat. and You mentioned Dry River, very big commitment to very careful marketing Mm. and and very good quality, very high quality. Adarangi were the same and uh, I would put Martin Bravignard in that bracket as well. Um, Chiffney was a little different. He he was Cabernet and uh, Chenin Blanc. Okay. He was going to do it differently. Yeah. So he didn't really join in too much. Um, as much as he was an important part of it all, but he yeah you know, those varieties as you know haven't really flourished since. So yeah, it was the three of them, but they were everyone was committed to quality. There was it was too small a region. It was too new. No one really knew exactly what it was going to produce. So we had to give yeah, it
0: a best shot. From memory, all those three and Martinborough vineyards and Palliser were wines that some way or another reached me in new jersey philadelphia area yeah i remember having to go out and find them places and going on like Mm -hmm. these searches but again each one quality wise was just like what the you know
1: what's going on in this place there's quite a good story of well negotiants australia employed a guy as export manager peter james he was based in adelaide he was a lover of wine and he certainly knew knew good quality Pinot Noir. He, he came to New Zealand in the late 80s and he effectively signed up all the Pinot Noir brands at that time that were of any consequence. So there was, there was Adarangi, Martin Ravignard, Dry River, Palliser, um, others. I c- can't remember them all, of course, but uh, there was a number of brands from the South Island as well. And he got them all into the negotiant stable and he, he started, these wines came in, and you mentioned that they, they, were, they were expensive, and they were the most expensive Pinot Noirs from the New World that Australia had ever seen. Mm. A good $10 a bottle more than anything else. And he really put New Zealand Pinot Noir on the map in Australia as an imported product, and no one had done it prior to that. We'd sold a little bit into Sydney, Baker and Company, Baker and Co., and uh, but and that was successful but the, really we've got he had enough brands and enough volume amongst everybody and enough quality to to give it a good shot
0: yeah cuz you need that critical mass don't you you need yeah. you can't be yeah. the only guy going in i've learned that the hard way sometimes and people think just as an example my you know say me going it trying to sell my wines in america and and uh you know I bump into a winemaker on the flight and they go hey man it's a big country I go no 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 come on bring it on like we can't (laughs) for years it was just craggy range or something from Hawks Bay or or or, and uh and so I've said no no we need like 10 of us in there you know I mean there's gonna be competition's a good thing but you can't be the only one so where's Martin bro you know or yeah Oh, and then you start seeing it a bunch of times, and then and then the wines are all really good too. So you guys are all raising your game, I can imagine too, and trading ideas and yeah. Um,
1: yeah, there was always a lot of collaboration. Mm. Southern Pinot Noir Workshop was a good example, yeah. And that evolved into well, that still exists, and it, it it generated the Pinot Noir Celebration in first time in two thousand and one. Mm. So that's been going on now for a reasonable period of time, and. That'll, that's been the marketing arm of the success I would like to forward. But uh, the, from the technical winemaking, grape growing point of view, we started the Southern Pinot Noir workshop in about 99, I think. From that's January. every two years, though? Yeah, yeah. No, it's every year. Oh, it is every year. Yeah, yeah okay. Yep, yeah. and that's growers and makers only. No marketing, no wine, no wine writers, no press. Yeah, yeah. People are encouraged to speak their mind honestly and openly yeah you
0: got to uh you need that sort of um talking in school kind of thing like you know and let's just say what we think
1: yeah with no threat of reprisal yeah
0: you're gonna need some tough skin some days for that though but you (laughs) gotta you gotta take it you know it's very important yeah Yeah. Uh, we just had a day like that uh last week with the giblet gravels and i think it's like it's one of my favorite days of the year you know just to get all those minds in one room and really trade ideas and talk about the vintage and there's just nothing else like that, that I attend. I I haven't been able to get to the, the Pinot workshop. Um, but I'm going to get there. Yep. You know, um, yeah, well worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'd love to. Um, and then at some stage, this is the other reason why I wanted to come sit in this seat. I get to look over the hills and the plateaus of Tamuna road. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been out here in a little while and, uh, it is, uh well, it's a little obviously it's in a different little of its own appellation but it's its own thing for sure and once again kind of a pioneer to come out around the corner there wasn't many people out here when you came out here and what was it late 90s or something
1: yeah we started planting here we bought the land in 98 started planting 99 uh, there was two other growers already here and um, the next door neighbor garth edwards 97 and straight across the road uh, John Douglas was, was already had purchased his property. So he was planting, but it was, it was brand new. And it's hard to say this, but it felt like a long way out of town.
0: So, yeah, no, it, it, I could see that because mm. Martinbury is so small. Yeah. You know, the town is, it's just got this little tight knit thing. And yeah. I'm sure there's a
1: few people going, he's going where, what? Mm. You know, it's, it's the same river system, same alluvial gravel terrace. We're just round the corner a little bit, a little bit further south. A little bit further west, east, east. east yeah. So yeah, and, and what's happened really? There's been a number of other brands developed here: um, Red Bank, uh, Cobblestone, Big Sky, uh, and, and Ulika, But Craggy Range have come in here and really smoked it. They yeah. they started off with 100 plus hectares. They're in the process of planting another 200 at the moment, all on Tamuna Road. So. You know, that they're very important that uh, they'll they'll end up as being probably thirty or forty percent of the district. Yeah. Which is incredible. But uh, you know, I always like to say that I have a mental picture of Craggy Range being Hawke's Bay, Bordeaux, Rhone, Ch- Chardonnay type wines. The reality is it's Tamuna Road, Pinot Noir and Sauvignon Blanc. It really is. Mm, going to the mostly going to the or will go to the US, they tell me. But Yeah, no it will. I see mm-hmm. it there. Um yeah. and I think
0: um I'm excited for that because uh, particularly for Pinot Noir, um, you know, I think it's good to have other appellations of Sauvignon Blanc out there as well, but um, we haven't quite, yeah, we've got work to do in the U.S., that's for sure, Um, and part of it is just the consumer knowledge and education and all that. It's um, not
1: from lack of trying, though. I'd suggest. No, I would say the it's same. Bloody tough. Yeah, it's yeah. it's.
0: I would a hundred percent agree. And i have tried, and um, and there then there's some people it just completely clicks with, and they get it, and they know. Um, but it's a very diverse and very it's fifty markets. It's um, yeah. uh, There's a lot of competition, and uh, it takes a while, but. You know, I think over the, the cool thing is, you know, it is wine and over the course of time, people just start more and more realizing, uh, that, you know, you're talking about, I don't, I think for me, the triangle is, or at least was Burgundy, Oregon and, and, uh, New Zealand. And I would even dare say Martinborough to be a bit biased, but, um, that, uh, but you know even the Oregon Pinots have just gotten massive they're really big wines yeah. and uh, I just don't think
1: um, I was looking they, There's a new tasting there online from Venice I, uh, I don't yeah. know how many producers or wines they've reviewed but it's hundreds hmm. and the number of wines over 100 US a bottle was a lot Yeah, all of them that are really in the top 90, 90, well 95 and above are all very expensive wines so that, that's only helping us. That's fantastic. I mean, they're very, very good wines, and they have they want to drink their own wines. They totally get that. But there's a big big doorway for us to get in there under 100 Absolutely. Yeah, under 50 even. We yeah, can yeah. do it. There's yeah. not a lot of wines out of Oregon now that are any good that are under $50. Yeah, so. it's true.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, I think a lot of that, you know, some of that money that would have gone into Napa or something has just gone up there. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, it's again. I think you're right. It's you know, it's a lot of opportunity out there because the quality's here. But the fact is, is you know, we have people in Japan and South Korea and still Australia and places like that that are really interested in these wines. So yeah. um, we just got to keep making good ones, you know. <laughs> um, yep. So you, you come out here in the late '80s or late '90s, and um, you know, it starts building up out here. How much? I mean, to be honest, when I heard Craggy was doing this expansion, I didn't even know there was that much land still out here. Is there much more to be had?
1: Along Tomuna Road, I'd suggest most of the best of it, the best of the soil type has been exploited. Yeah. There's plenty of land on the other side of the road, on the western side of the road, um, but that's—it it is heavier. And the further south you go along Tomuna Road, the heavier that soil type becomes. Uh, it, it could well grow some good grapes, but... Maybe Chardonnay, or you think, or... Yeah, or Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Um, we keep zeroing in on the, this free-draining gravel. Yeah. Um, I think that is that is debatable. I'm sold on it. We, we've invested a lot of money into making sure we only take fruit off what we would loosely call the gravels. Yeah. And um, we think we grow better quality grapes, and we, we get out of trouble in a much better way if it does rain prior to harvest... It goes straight through, so it it forces us to irrigate in a normal summer, but it also lets us off the hook when we get that that spin-off from the cyclonic weather further north. Usually in March, Gisborne gets pasted. um, We normally get away with it. If we do get rain from cyclonic weather systems, it pretty much goes straight through and we can get on with it. It certainly doesn't hold us up.
0: Yeah, 18 was a bit like that. You know, we got a little rain, sort of during harvest i don't know are you guys a little later out here though yeah we are yeah Yeah,
1: we might be five days again i'd say it depends but the rule of thumb would be five or seven days later is there
0: any i mean i'm just speculating here but anything like a certain season it gets hotter out here or anything like that or you know you get some i I think
1: in the summer we are on a hot day we're hotter here yeah i kind of feel that yeah ringed by hills yeah on a cold morning we're cooler Sure. Yeah. yeah so I've, heard some,
0: a- I've heard some bad frost stories Yeah. when it comes in in a, in a wrong direction out here.
1: Yeah. We're open to the south. Well, the whole district is. So, yeah, the southerly influenced weather. We're very open to that. Um, we're protected from the east essentially by rain shadow and from the west by rain shadow. So, it's uh, the southerlies are what get us and it can affect flowering badly as without a frost even just the southerly weather during december if it's the wrong timing it certainly can affect the the yields dramatically but um
0: you spread that risk a little bit across i suppose it's only one big site here but as far as trying to do different levels of different things and pruning at different times and all that
1: yep we do that but we also take fruit from what we would call town yeah so we've got a number of older vineyards in town that we prize highly Essentially, because of vine age.
0: Oh, that's right. You got that Dodds Vineyard.
1: Block. Yes, Archana, We call that. I used yep.
0: to get fruit from there. Okay.
1: Well, yeah, good with, with Guy McMaster oh, back yep. back yep. in fifteenth uh, yeah, or
0: thirteen, fourteen, fifteen.
1: Yeah. We're halfway through renovating that. We've pulled two blocks out and mm. replanted. Had the virus been too much removed from virus or died or whatever. Yeah. And uh, there's one block of the original left, and it's making good wine. We're very happy with it. Yeah. Cool. We also take a couple of other blocks there that are, are you know, amongst the original plantings in the district, and they're all Pinot Noir, and they're, they're highly prized by us um, for the vine age particularly and obviously the quality, and then a couple of bigger blocks just on the southern side of town, which it's still Martinborough, it's still essentially on the terrace. These, Both of them are slightly heavier soil and closer to the river, but uh, they're both giving us good fruit taking some Chardonnay out of there but essentially Pinot Noir.
0: What would you say you know the short answer and long answer is of stylistic difference between town and and uh, Tamuna Road I mean how much of it is you how much of it is this place you know
1: yeah well I would firstly say I would defy anyone to successfully answer that question (laughs) well answer it. you can answer it all you like yeah 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 (laughs) but actually blind taste and get it right Five times out of 10, I'd defy anyone to do that. Okay. So, so it's a guess. Yeah. But if you want me to try and define it from my perspective, and it's um, it's certainly debatable, but I, I think there's slightly better skin quality out here, slightly thicker skin, and we see that in a better color expression. Yeah. And that's not just from our winemaking and our vineyards, but the the neighbors seem to be producing wines with... Perhaps a little bit more color, the vineyards are younger, they might have a little bit more vigor, a little bit more going for them, but color seems to be something that initially we noticed pretty good color and that's I would and I can again it's totally gut feel, but um, if there is higher there is higher wind runs here hmm. if higher wind run gives you tougher skins on the grapes uh, then. Yeah, we, we're certainly seeing better quality skin. For what reason? Could be wind, could be youth, could be a, a lot of things we don't even know about. Too early to tell, possibly. But yeah.
0: you think thinking it, it's tannin-wise and things like that. Debatable.
1: Very similar. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we the winemaking messes with the tannins Absolutely. far too much. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, I, again, the winemaking's affecting that way more than anything else. Yeah. Um, vit- and viticulture too. We we're finding as time goes on, we're having we're le- using less and less leaf plucking, less exposure, um, uh, better quality canopies, and you know the the viticulture is improving rapidly versus you know just um, what what the viticulture is having more influence on what the fruit is than the place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's always tough to look back and say oh it was this and that and really it was
1: well that goes back to that uh and clone too clones you know gives us plenty of variation as well so
0: that's that term uh Wai with like you know is it terroir doesn't seem to encapsulate it all it seems it seems to be more about you guys living here being here getting to know this area, getting to know what your spring's going to be like, getting to know what your harvest is going to be like. Oh, it's going to be dry in the summer. We're going to do this over winter and this, and all those things add up to a lot of different changes.
1: Uh, Yeah, I would say adapting the whole process to the wine that's in your head. Yeah. You've got to have a starting point and it's not in the tank, it's in your head. And if you can start applying that over 20, 30, whatever years, and gradually moulding the viticulture and the winemaking around that Mm. style, then then you're getting somewhere. I think you've got to have a a predetermined wine that you want to make and and ideally you stick to the knitting and you keep making that wine and maybe it's going to go in and out of fashion to some extent. Um, Some years are going to suit that approach better than others, but you have to be consistent. So, Mm. yeah the market needs to know that you're consistent
0: yeah absolutely and particularly when you're making you know high quality wines too you know like you don't want somebody who's a big fan of the coupe to suddenly start buying it in a a couple years and this is really different and that you know and and uh, i mean there should be you know vintage variation obviously but uh, which is something i really enjoy about pinot noir but you also uh Mm. don't want to completely change the game you know
1: you know Coupe's always been based on the fact that it's from tamuna road and it's high density vineyard Mm. and that was i like to say it was created from the ground up it wasn't just oh let's blend this up and make a wine we'll call it coupe our best barrels or our best block or whatever it is that block and it is what it is
0: it's so uh I'll tell you a tasting, a couple of tasting stories in a minute, but uh, driving in, I saw that you know coming in, and and one of my I came down here. Well, I think I was at EIT, and then I visited Hugh a couple of times over the years, and uh, uh, you know explained that block to me. But uh, yeah, tell us, tell me a little bit about that again. You know, it's these tiny little vines there. So how does that all work? You know.
1: Yeah, well, I think in all fairness, it was after trips to Burgundy mm. uh, and seeing looking at what was different there and a lot of the wine making, the barrel aging when that we were had adapted most of that into our winemaking we knew not all of it but enough of it to be consistent about making quality wine what we weren't discovering was was any was high density planting doing anything for their resulting wine and obviously the answer's got to be yes we hadn't trialed it in new zealand no one really knew what it would do for new zealand so we we were well, initially we said we would plant one hectare and it turned into three before we knew it, and we went into this high density thing, and it was a lot of work. It was a lot of expense. Uh, at that time we couldn't buy There was a two year wait on grafted vines. Mm. We couldn't wait, of course. So we said we'll go in on its own roots, and that'll become part of the story as well. There was no phylloxera out here. We could say this is a very pure expression of that clone it's on its own roots and what are the clones it's all, all able all able okay yeah sure uh, mm. but now that we're slowly replanting it we now have phylloxera so it is slowly getting replanted and it's real pity because we're going to lose 20 years of vine age mm. but uh, yeah, the the high density plantings we've learnt what we have got out of them it, it's been sig- significant from my point of view and, and it's given us a significant difference in quality and a, and a significant story to tell that's from the ground up, rather than, you know, we added this and we yeah yeah sure just a little salt and pepper or something yeah, sure. what
0: so what what do you you know as far as just intensity of fruit um, yep yep yeah.
1: um, less well I, I guess from a viticultural point of view just very very uh, succinctly we I think we've got more root and more leaf per hectare. We've got vines closer together. They're competing more, is arguably correct. But we we have um, for one by one and a half meter spacing versus two by one and a half meter spacing. We've got effectively thirty percent, thirty five percent more row length per hectare. So we, I argue, we've got thirty five percent more leaf for sure. And we probably we'd never done it, but. would think we got certainly more root per hectare yeah and we're growing more successful fruit so I, i'm convinced if you back can handle it and you have got the staff to do it and you can get the bottle price that's involved
0: yeah that's key yeah that's that's an important part yeah you can grow better quality fruit well certainly uh i did when i was in i did a couple harvests in napa i did a you know, just sort of with a couple other winemakers got kind of associated with this wine ma- wine tasting group involved some lawyers and guys who could afford really great wines, not like us winemakers. So, um, but I organized um, a New Zealand tasting three times, actually, and twice, of uh, pinos, and uh, twice the coupe, just took it out um, so that, Good. you know. Mm. But you got to be there, so you were there. They were in California. I could find them <laughs> at right. the time. Yeah. Um, but but I would also say that um, they those wines were like they made an impact to like the, that intensity straight from the get go um, with those with with the coupe for whatever reason, you know. And, and I want to even say a couple of those ones we had a different escarpment in the mix too. Um, so. Uh, you are getting your value out of it, even within your own. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we've all, we, I call Escarpment district blend. Mm. It can come from any vineyard within Martinborough. If it reaches a, a, some sort of standard, it'll be blended together into that wine. That's our biggest single production. It can't really come off one site. But, sure, sure. Yeah, the single vineyards are religiously from their site, uh, and they're all picked on one day. They're one fermentation, they go to barrel. There's no opportunity to blend. If they don't make the cut, then if they're not good enough, they don't make the cut and they don't get bottled. So we've done that a number of times. We haven't bottled them in lesser vintages. So this really trying to just protect the the integrity of those sites and, the, and therefore the integrity of Martinborough. The first thing that's written over all over and bar the, the word coupe is the next one really is Martinborough, so. Yeah. yeah.
0: What um so where else would you find the wines around the world? Where are your biggest or at least, you know, yeah, first few? U-
1: you- UK is very strong for us. Cool. Obviously Australia always has been but particularly now with Tallbrook's involvement. Uh, China's we've done very, very well in China. We've got a unique import opportunity in China which has worked very well for us for quite a long time now. So there was a lot of serendipity happened there. Um, we had a an Asian, a Malaysian Chinese woman in the office. So we had a Automatic yeah. Malay uh, Mandarin speaker in the in the business, uh, just by default, and we had a cut young couple who had been educated in Auckland, living in Shanghai. I think I met. Did they live on the Dodds Block? Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: they yeah. bought it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I met them at the last conference. They were mm. really cool. Yeah, May and Paul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, she, Paul's a very high end securities trader in Shanghai. Mm. He lives. In, he works in one of those three buildings that everyone photographs. like and uh his but this is his wife's project to import well really only started with us they have a couple of other bits of small brands of sauvignon and a little bit of two paddocks Mm. and that's it so very small portfolio and, and just concentrating only on new zealand they are they have been looking for other non-perishable goods maybe water or coffee mm. that sort of thing but they haven't honey. gone there
0: <laughs> get into the honey business man yeah <laughs> yeah
1: that'd be good yeah <laughs> so they but it's her sort of project that's cool and she's doing a very good job for us so yeah and we yeah, we've been in we're in a lot of other markets but so small it doesn't really matter yeah. hong kong was has always been good for us ireland um, never had much success in canada well it's tor- tough. <laughs> good Torbrick will change that. But yeah, we have sold into into Can- into Canada but it hasn't lasted. We sold into the Benelux countries um including Belgium, Holland hasn't lasted. Um, Switzerland hasn't hasn't really lasted in Europe on and off, yeah. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah, I think there's some people there that uh they want it and they want to show like some new, particularly New Zealand wine. Um, but uh, there's a lot of wine over there to compete with and a lot of great stuff. So yeah, and it's, and I think it's tough to pretty, change those minds. And competitive
1: you know? prices, too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you get scary f- in Germany
0: how yeah, cheap it is. Yeah, and uh, my wife's from Northern Italy, and I go over there, and it's just like what's available at the little Podunk. Cafe down the street, it's, you know, it's one of the greatest white wines I've ever had in my life. You know, and it's like two <laughs> euro a glass. You know, you're just like, how do you? I'm not going to bring any wine over here. You know,
1: <laughs> and even if you had great wine at two euros, they're still going to drink their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't enough. blame them really.
0: Um, so yeah, focus where you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose we don't make too much in the grand scheme of things. I would say that you know, traveling back and forth from Hawkes Bay and Martinborough. Um, and what's probably unique to the, um, keeping it on the sort of Pinot Noir tip, uh, what's unique about, uh, you know, Martinborough and Waiarapa, uh, you know, Marlboro is a whole nother conversation, but certainly North Canterbury, Otago is, um, you know, we have to watch, you know, what the larger production is going to do at that, I don't know, supermarket level or whatever you want to call it, um where if there's ups and downs and things here you know smaller production and premium production really is where your focus is and so um and where i think we really want to keep things at for Mm -hmm. you know i think there's really not a choice i think anybody gets a little question mark when they start seeing cheaper pinot out there you know
1: well that's where the color is isn't it the the excitement's there and it mightn't be very profitable and in fact it isn't very profitable but it, it generates a level of interest hmm. in the wines of that country or that district. And yeah, I, there's some ridiculous statistic about Purple Pages, Jancis Robinson's site. All of those wines they've ever reviewed, I understand is only 4% of what's available in the market in the UK, of what's sold in the market in the UK. So 96% of the wine that's sold in the UK never gets reviewed on her site. No. So it's it might be 95, 5 watt. Yeah, it's, it's, but whatever. It's minuscule. Yeah. So they're really talking to the rarefied atmosphere, aren't they?
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it does make you question fighting. You know, you said, oh, it didn't last here and it didn't last there. And sometimes, you know, you don't want to be defeatist in your attitude, but you're like, if you guys don't get it. We're just going to go over here where they do get it, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. focus on these people.
1: And I see that in the US very clear, more clearly than anywhere else in the world. They come up to the stand or your tasting event, and in all fairness, they really haven't got too much idea about what they're letting themselves in for. Mm. And you can see a little bit of hesitancy oh, okay, I'll try it, you know. As soon as they put it in their mouth, they get it, yeah. <laughs> and I guess particularly with Sauvignon Blanc, but I'd say with our Pinots as well, mm. they get it. And you, you know, as soon as they've done that, that the job just became easier. You can start talking to them at a different level. Yeah. So get it in their mouth, and you got half a chance. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And uh, it's yeah, it's just the. The structure of things and the competition and all that type of stuff so yeah. no i wasn't referring to that i think that's a, a fight worth keeping the fight besides you can just find a little pocket you know we found one in upstate new york or michigan or something and it's like that's pretty much all arpino <laughs> get,
1: get the right guy on the ground yeah, yeah. totally yeah. Where you totally go. yeah um
0: so what's uh you know you've kind of got a um breath of f- fresh air recently with Tolbrick involved and yep. uh so that's yep. pretty exciting and it is
1: yeah um, it's a very complementary relationship they are you know obviously i call it hot climate but they probably say warm climate viticulture focusing really only on the rhone varieties hmm. uh, they don't do cabernet they only really do rhone varieties out of the brossa they don't do anything that we do except rosé so they don't do chardonnay pinot noir sure pinot gris pinot blanc um, and we don't do riesling any longer but again so We're the cool climate end of what they're doing and they're the warmer climate end. They have their own sales team in Australia. That's great. Yep. So they're clipping the ticket twice and they're happy. They've got all the distribution set up. Those guys haven't got enough wine to sell. Well, here's some stuff that the market's taking interest in. New Zealand uh, Pinot Noir, I guess if they were really commercial about it, they'd probably track down some Sauvignon Blanc. That might be part of their bigger picture, but not to my knowledge. Mm. But yeah, that would fit in as well. And they've got a very, very sound portfolio of, of Australasian wine. And they've got a market big enough there. We, we obviously sell as much as we can in New Zealand through the local distribution, but yeah, essentially a 60 plus percent export now. And yeah, it's, so it's a very complimentary thing. And we've struggled really since the GFC trying to make this thing work. We, we were overextended with the banks. We couldn't meet their requirements any longer. The business partner who was with back then with their joint venture partner was based in Melbourne with plenty of money. I'd add, but comes to a point where no, absolutely, yeah, yeah, have yeah, yeah, had enough. Yeah, it's got to work. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So he 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 always he tried to get out ever since the GFC that hurt their business pretty badly. The the business that funds everything. So eventually, yeah, Torbrick picked it up, and we now again it's essentially it's an American billionaire uh, IT tech. Yeah, billionaire who funds he's got a couple of wineries in uh, in the sonoma Quivara, and uh, la foliette mm-hmm. but also the the main driver of all the wine side of it is torbrick and we hope slowly becomes us as well yeah i think it will
0: yeah, yeah i think it's uh you know we're going to talk a lot about a lot of different things um you know including you know the three pillars of the you know of the conference and things like that but um it's got to work man it's got or it just goes away Mm -hmm. and uh Mm -hmm. um and you need uh the support channels is probably the best way to put it um but and and even if you are fortunate enough to work with partners or a partner that uh, has good resources it's still got to work eventually it's going to have to and so, um,
1: yeah, they're tired I, of putting money in, yeah. Yeah, they go, <laughs>
0: What's going on with this thing? And, uh, you know, wine is just in its nature. Uh, you know, I say, time, they say time makes the wine, time makes the wine business, too. You know, you got to be in fighting the fight for a while, and then all of a sudden things open up, and they open up, and they start going, but. Um, It has to work all the way from how much it costs you to run that coupe vineyard into the, are people going to actually buy this wine at this price? And how much is it, you know, how long is it taking to sell them and all that kind of stuff? So, um, you know, ultimately, yeah, that was kind of what I was saying is getting at the point of some of the, there's not a lot of bulk sitting out there of uh, Pinot. Uh, you'd hope not, at least. Uh, even with uh, recent struggles in the economy around the world, yeah. um, we should be making good enough wines and able to sell it. So we just got to keep telling these stories and um, you know, getting the word out, you know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. uh, I might not be speaking to uh, – oh, I might try to speak to Jillian at Craggy. Because I think that's a pretty interesting situation. Another Aussie invader, uh, yeah. h- who, uh, but also young. I think that's the really yeah. interesting part of that. And so, yeah, sharp guy. Yeah, very oh sharp. God. I sat next to him at that Gibb Gravels thing. We just ended up next to each other, and I really liked what he had to say. And uh, I kind of bumped him afterward, and I said, "I want to talk to you about Pinot." <laughs> um, but uh, so exciting with uh, Craggy's new plantings out here. So who's the sort of gang out in Timuna these days? Um, you know, because we'll just to try, shine a little highlight on this region a little more um, than just the, the town, as you put it, you
1: know. Yeah, well, uh, over the road from us is one of the originals really was uh, Red Bank, Colin Carruthers. He's, uh, he hasn't really released a lot of wine. He's been selling fruit off and wine off. But uh, that's a good vineyard, and they've now got a decent viticultural team in there and a winemaker, so we'll see more from them.
0: That's a big site? Or
1: yeah, oh, it's. You know, it's, uh, it's probably, I'm going to guess at around 15 hectares, mm-hmm. maybe yep. 12. Yep. Big enough. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, they've got a winery on it. He's, he's, in, he's a QC lawyer. He's invested it, it all. He's employing the right people, and it can function. So, yeah, there's, there's a good future there. hmm and uh, next door is uh, a one-man band, John Douglas. He uh, he makes some interesting wines, but he really doesn't have the resources to get it out there in a... in a Big way, yeah. Big way, yeah. yeah. He, he'll get there, but it's going to be very small and very slow. Mm-hmm. And then next door to him, there was, was Cobblestone. Um, it, well, it was uh, p- known as Pond Paddock, uh, and that was sold to a... a, a well very interesting guy actually he's 90 years of age he's a retired disc jockey from los angeles
0: okay <laughs> I have to look this up <laughs> yeah
1: soul levin look up soul levin okay disc jockey la i think i've heard of it yeah i've heard yeah, of yeah he's famous jay yeah. he set up the first one of the first jazz radio stations in in that that district yeah, in LA, yeah. he's out there i can assure you okay he's fantastic but he he has made a lot of wine there under the cobblestone brand and he's it's not selling fast enough, so at the moment we're taking the fruit uh, and making wine from it. It's a good vineyard. We've got an offering on it, but uh, he's got dollar signs in his eyes. Yeah, sure, sure. So we haven't got got any further with that. But that that's a that's a good vineyard, and there's a lot of this cobblestone wine around, particularly in the U.S. He takes it over there, but we're taking that block. Then next door again, here is Garth Edwards. Uh, there's um, pinot Gris, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Noir, we take the Pinot from there, it usually ends up in a scarpment. Um, then Ulica. now there's an interesting story, that was a Dutch family who set it up and just recently sold to the Butterworth family, Brad Butterworth's brother or father, brother I think. The, so who's the Butterworth, sorry? The Butterworth, <laughs> he, he was the, one of the tacticians in the America's Cup boat that uh, won, okay. the, won, the first, won, won it off the Americans for the first time. Brad Butterworth, yeah, he's yeah, big yeah. time, yeah. Yeah, I don't big know time.
0: my America's Cup that well.
1: All right, well. I'm gonna,
0: I'm, a, I'm not going to have a choice this year. There's not many sports going
1: on, <laughs> so I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah, at least that is. <laughs> yeah. So he, he's big in the yachting scene and obviously made a lot of money out of it. So they're rejuvenating that, and that'll be that'll be good. They've got some good people there. Cool. Um, getting that going. Because yeah. that's
0: not a small site either, you know. That's
1: got some... Yeah, yeah it's, bit, again, about 15 hectares. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. enough, yeah. Yeah. He it was set up as olives and they weren't successful, so it's been vineyard for, uh, again, about 20 years, yeah. near enough, certainly more than 15, so it's established. And then really the only other person here is Big Sky, uh, the Corbin family, Jeremy Corbin, he's, I think he's one of the Corbins anyway. Yeah. He, he works in Wellington and his wife, uh, Catherine's looking after it. And they've got the Big Sky brand and they've just built a winery as well, so they yeah, they're good. kind of new and
0: fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah, a bit absolutely. more
1: committed now. Yep. Yeah, and I think it, I think I was
0: near them at the last conference, and yeah, yeah seemed to be on the right path.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and the rest of it's Craggy.
0: Yeah. Mm. Oh, well.
1: And I there's a couple of blocks between Craggy and Ulica that are for sale. They'll go sooner or later. They've been for sale for a long time, but they'll go sooner or later. I think even Ulica might be looking at one of them. Mm. There's another couple of bits that. They'll get planted in the fullness of time, but uh, yeah, water's now an issue along here. they have put a moratorium on any more bores fr- from this part of the, the aquifer. And we, we've got a water right that we had to give some up back into the aquifer. To they have worried that too much is coming out, so they're really trimming down the water rights and they're certainly not issuing any new, new bore rights. Hmm. So that might be the limiting factor um, especially if it continues to stay dry and i don't know if you, who knows what climate change is really going to do long term um but would appear it's it's drier warmer summers uh, and um
0: maybe an inc- more a few more incidents you know in the in the fall with some yeah cyclones and whatnot yeah oh that's all real interesting um you know being a slightly selfish talking about <laughs> i would love to make a wine from out here so someday you know i'll just have to keep my ear to the grindstone you know yeah well there, well, yeah. there
1: has been fruit f- available from cobblestone and from uh, red bank hmm. if you're really keen you should try red bank they they're still selling fruit as far as i know they hmm. they're um
0: is there a um um Mix of clones out here, or is it just uh, yep, uh, yeah, yeah, still the same? You know, getting all the Dijons and the Clone Five and all that out here. Yeah, too. I don't
1: think there's too much Clone Five, but there's plenty of the six, six, seven, triple seven, one, one, four, one, one, five. Yeah, Able. That would be the majority of it. I would get you know. Again, I'm sort of I know some of it, but uh the, this, well, if, there's bits and pieces of a lot of things. Bread Bank's got a little bit of Shiraz, a little bit of Viognier. Yeah mixing w- it up a little bit yeah I, they love it i wouldn't be planning it yeah exactly <laughs> i'll leave that to torbrick <laughs> yeah yeah
0: exactly yeah yeah that's not going to certainly help in your model mm.
1: we well, take it there's another block just so i forgot this one there's another block that uh, we call uh, mitchell's it's a contract grower to us she's got a bit of 943 able mm. 115 so on so you know there's some some of the newer clones there the 943 looks interesting we've got 828 planted here now for some time a um, bit of mv6 so it's sort of getting mixed up yeah, yeah
0: there's a few there i haven't worked with before so
1: yeah
0: interesting well um that was cool man thanks for talking to me um another you got better watch it out here it's getting warm i'm starting to think about that frost season <laughs> for you
1: <laughs> yeah, it feels like spring out there doesn't it feels yeah like i know spring in here
0: uh we've got some cooler days coming up the hawks bay i don't know about down here but um oh yeah, well, good luck with yeah, those we'll, fans we'll, you know
1: yeah, we'll get the southerly come through and the clearing weather after it yeah there's plenty of that in october absolutely
0: yeah and uh man if i don't see you i'm sure hopefully now i get to see you once in a while you get to town once in a while you yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> and if not we'll see you at the conference and yep. uh yep. thanks for
1: doing it man cheers pleasure dan good on you
0: good on you, Larry. Thank you, man. That was so cool. Um, I went back and listened to that just to make sure that I didn't need to make any edits. And what a wealth of knowledge in there. Um, You know, when you're sort of in it, I'm just engaged with the questions and trying to keep the interview moving along. But I think if you were a WSET student or, you know, studying for your Master of Wine or even your history of uh, New Zealand, uh, you'd want to listen to that and uh, you know, just try to soak up as much as you can. Uh, wealth of knowledge there, phenomenal wines, and uh, you know, I think it's real important to mix up. You know, we're going to do some sort of more cultural episodes, um, and you know, more you know, more discussions on the those pillars of Tūrangawaewae, Katya Katanga, and Fonotanga. Uh, but we also got to keep things in perspective with. Um, you know this, not not just winemaking, but there's like this sort of history of of wine in each region, and and get you know if we have the chance to speak to these folks who have been doing it a long time, we need to to soak that up. So uh, I appreciate it, Larry, and uh, man, look forward to seeing you around New Zealand. Uh, don't forget check out Wine Searcher. Thanks to those guys doing it, man. I'm having fun doing this. Uh, next week we are speaking with. Uh, Nathan Maynard from the Munai and Martinboro. And, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good week, weekend, and talk soon. Cheers.